Welcome to this episode of John Talking Jesus in a Jetta with Java. Mm. That lid leaks. Those of you who are watching can see me dribbling on my chin. How attractive. Anyway, so I'm glad you're with me. I want to give a shout out to my friend Jim Kirk. That is not a joke. I have a friend named Jim Kirk. He was actually my fieldwork supervisor at the seminary. And he has been a friend of mine for, oh, geez, must be like 27 years or so. And we don't see each other, but we cross paths. And uh, evidently, he happened upon my little show here and popped me a few good comments last week. So shout out to Jim Kirk, not the captain of the Enterprise. Uh, although he could do it. He could do it. So uh, this Sunday... Where I'm, when I'm recording this, is the Sunday before school starts. So teachers have been at their pre-planning weeks all week, myself included. In fact, I will tell you this, my head is spinning a little bit because last year I taught middle school math, science, and religion in a small private school. And this year I'm teaching uh, calculus and physics and pre-calculus in a charter school, which is basically a public school, kinda. Uh, the way it works here in Florida, but uh, we just we have a lot of the same rules and regulations and everything, and it's it's a much 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 bigger school than I taught it last year. I, we had a faculty of about seven, and I think the faculty is like ninety at this school, so it's it's a whole different ball game, and there's all the procedures and everything. So my head is completely spinning with uh, all the stuff I had to do during pre-planning and then tomorrow morning the students will walk in all bushy-eyed Monday morning first day of school and we're off to the races. So I want to talk a little bit about teaching. I want to talk to teachers specifically but in a way hopefully that applies to everybody. So the first thing I want to say about teachers is that being a teacher is something that uh, God has set aside as a specific office in the scriptures to be a teacher. In um, shouldn't be. I'm not, I'm not going to read it to you because I'm driving. But it's in First uh, Corinthians 12:28. It says uh, God has appointed people to different offices, and one of those is teachers. Now there's also preachers and encouragers and things like that. Uh, so it's not that you're not in some office that God has appointed, but today I specifically want to say if you're a teacher, that is something that God has identified and set aside as a specific uh, role and office in society and in churches. And so thank you for stepping into that. The second thing is that being a teacher is also a gift. Some people have the gift of teaching. Uh, Paul says, writes to the Romans about uh, people, different people have different gifts and they should all use them to serve. And so if you're a teacher who is teaching in that specific job, office role, and that's where your giftedness lies, well, that's a great thing. Because kind of the trifecta of life, if you can achieve it, is to have some place that, um, <laughs> that is where your gifts lie, uh, that also uh, pays the bills, and oh, shoot, what's the third one? You, you, you guys already know this, and I'm still trying to think about it. It's uh, it's 
where you're gifted and where you can make a living. That, that just seems pretty good right there, doesn't it? There's a third one and I can't remember it. And I'm not going to try anymore. It'll come to me. I'll shout it out later in the middle of something else. So anyway, so it's a teaching is an office. Thank you for serving. Teaching is a gift. I'm glad that uh, you are able to do that. If you're a teacher, there are many areas of giftedness, encouraging, uh, giving, um, teaching, all these kind of things. But today we're saying specifically teachers. And then it needs to be done. Proverbs says, if we train up children in the way they should go, when they're old, they won't depart from it. So we need teachers who are willing to teach. We need teachers who step into that role in the lives of children. And it's not easy. Teaching is not easy. And I'll tell you what, with the advent of all the, the media technology and everything, teaching is getting harder because students are not used to uh, sitting, they're used to sitting still, but they used to be sitting still, having a screen uh, actively pouring information at them, and they are the passive recipient, as opposed to sitting in a classroom and having a dialogue about something or struggling to understand a concept. So teaching really has gotten more difficult, but it's still very important. And there's at least four levels we have to teach on, uh, and. Each one of these requires uh, an increasing depth of commitment on the part of the teacher, really. So the first one is facts. I mean, students have to know things like two plus two. Washington, D.C. is the capital of the United States, right? So uh, that's a simple. We need to teach facts, but we also have to teach methods because not every math problem is two plus two, right? They might come across uh, a basket with three apples and five oranges, and they have to be able to do the math and say, well, there's eight pieces of food in there. I know I'm being stupid, but that's, you got your facts and then you got your methods of getting to new facts, of getting to new knowledge, but not, and not only you need facts and you need methods, but you also need, uh, if you're going to be effective at really helping these kids get ready for adulthood, you need to teach attitudes. Uh, you need to teach a the, the, um, the attitude toward learning, that you can learn things, that if you don't know something, how to get it, where to get it, and, in, and even more important is the attitude that you can learn it if you try. So that's the third level, and the fourth level, for some teachers anyways, and I uh, um, th certainly this is for me, and I work this into everything else, is the, um, the kind of basic way to move through life, to move through the world. This is really part of the teaching task. And there's at least three things that uh, teachers need to model for students and teach students and, uh, and coach students through. And this is where teaching get, can get really hard, uh, I think, because this is uh, beyond the textbook and beyond the test book. And uh, kids need teachers to teach them compassion and empathy. You know, uh, it, for whatever reason, for a lot of kids, it's it's funny when another kid hurts themselves uh, or says or, or takes a risk to make an answer in class and then says the wrong answer, and uh, other kids laugh at them. And so that's one of the things we have to teach. That's like the core level thing is that idea of empathy, of really uh, of um, remembering and being able to put yourself in the place of someone who has. Uh, fallen down on the playground or 
or given a wrong answer or something and say, oh, you know what, I realize that's a tender uh, and difficult and painful situation. And my response to that, if I have empathy, is going to be uh, some sort of comforting or sympathetic or supportive response uh, instead of uh, finding humor in it. Now, that's not to say, you know, friends laugh at each other and mock each other. I'm not, I'm not trying to go there and say that shouldn't happen. But, you know, the primary thing uh, that we need to model is compassion. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we really, it's a meta skill for life, is grit. Uh, they've done all sorts of studies on what makes successful students and, and even more what really brings success in life. And the truth is that one of the main components of success is just plain old grit, stick-to-itiveness, refusal to give up in the face of difficulty and misunderstanding and trial. And so teachers who really want to teach kids how to succeed in life are going to teach them and, and, and model for them and encourage them to have grit, to be gritty people who never give up. And the last thing is, well, of the three things that I can think of is compassion, grit, and curiosity. I mean, we, we don't want to teach, we don't want to model, uh, uh, we don't want to teach students to be passive receivers of whatever someone else says. Uh, as much as it creates, it can create difficulties in our classroom, we want students to wrestle with and engage and even question when appropriate uh, what the teacher says about a subject. Teachers are right all the time. Uh, I, in my last time I taught high school physics, which is about six years ago now, uh, I, I said something that was wrong. And a couple of students said, I don't think that's the way it is. And I said, well, I thought I read that. And they said, I don't think so. And I looked it up and you know what? They were right and I was wrong and I was happy because they were engaged enough to challenge me and they learned that it's good and profitable to challenge things when you when you have a legitimate question. And I got to model for them the humility of being wrong and accepting it rather than pulling out my teacher trump card and getting all authority on them. So that was a great moment, right? So we got compassion, grit, and curiosity. But the Bible actually says that teaching is super serious. Bible says that teaching is super serious. I'm going to see if I can do this. Uh, James 3 verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers because you know that the people who teach will be judged more harshly. And I want to get like super spiritual on that. I, I just know that uh, society certainly judges teachers harshly. Parents uh, you know, mess up on, mess up with somebody's child and see what the parent does. Now that depends on the parent, right? But I will tell you this: teachers are in a place of judging themselves more harshly. Because you know, if I'm in a business somewhere and I, I, uh, I give a manufacturing a proposal to manufacture a widget, and I kind of blow the proposal and it doesn't go well and we don't get the contract. Well, I blew a proposal, we didn't get the contract. But you know what? If I mess up teaching a kid teaching a class, I'm messing up 20, 25, 30 lives. 20, 25, 30 people. I'm messing up other people. And that's horrible. And that'll keep you awake at night. And so 
teachers have to be uh, teachers uh, really have to engage in uh, self uh, self evaluation and and be aware and uh, just well you gotta uh, you gotta take care. So there was a study by a guy named Dr. Rosenthal, and he went to a public school with a, a new thing that had been developed called the Harvard Test of Inflected Acquisition. And it was a test, uh, he told everybody, that was designed to measure the intellectual capabilities of students in a new way. And so he approached his public school and asked if he could uh, give the students that test. And uh, he gave all the students the test. And then about four weeks later, he came back and had a meeting with the faculty. And it told the faculty which students had scored at a certain level. It's about 20%. Recording while... Oh, I'm not sure what that says. It might say recording while driving is unsafe. Um, anyway, that was a little thing that flashed on my screen. So anyway, he had the Harvard test of inflected acquisition. And uh, so he gave it to the student body and came back a month later to give the results to the teachers. And, you know, roughly 20% had a high index on the Harvard test of inflected acquisition. And he let the, the teachers know uh, which students those were. And, and that uh, they, even if they hadn't done well before, they, they uh, according to the new research and methodology, they had the, the raw material, the capability to be high-performing students. And the students weren't told any of this. They just took the test. And that's the last thing they heard. And so, um, they went through the year, and at the end of the year, Dr. Rosenthal came back to find out how things had gone, and the teachers reported, uh, they, they uh, did some post-testing and found out that the students uh, that had scored high on the Harvard Test of Inflective Acquisition had uh, higher IQ bumps. In second grade, it was 27 points versus 17 for the, the kids who didn't test high on that. And uh, in the first grade, it was something like 13 versus 7 IQ point jump for the grade. And so there was a statistically significant difference uh, between those who had scored high on this new test versus the ones who hadn't. And the teachers also reported enjoying teaching them more, found their interaction with them more engaging, uh, found themselves drawn to, to bring more resources to bear in their teaching and things like this and this is the, the uh, little twist on the whole thing uh, those of you who've studied research know that that what you want to do is make your research blind uh, double blind where neither the participants nor the experimenters know what's going on because anybody who knows what's actually being experimented on they might adjust their behavior based on the experiment and so nobody knew what Dr. Rosenthal was really testing was <clears throat> the effect of teacher expectations on student uh, performance. The, the, the Harvard test of inflected acquisition was complete baloney and the students were assigned at random to the high performance expectation group that was supposed to be uh, indicated by this test. And so what this tells us is that the most important thing for teachers 
to excel at teaching is their attitude toward the students' abilities to learn. And this is where we can take this uh, another step outside the classroom and into the world and say that the results from this Harvard, this fake test that showed that it was teacher expectations that that had a large effect on student behavior and performance, you can take that anywhere. What are your expectations of your kids? What are your expectations of your coworkers? And I don't, I mean, obviously we need to set the bar high with people that we are in charge of like students and if we're a boss, we have workers and stuff. But it's, it's more what you think of their potential. That's what this study was getting at, is whether or not you think that these people have the raw material to succeed. And so we can take that anywhere, into our families, into our jobs, into our churches. And what we need to do based on this study is we need to just start seeing people as <clears throat> having the raw material to succeed. And we just need to choose that vision for the way we move through the world. <coughs> Excuse me. I need some coffee since I am talking Jesus in a Jetta with Java. Hmm. All right, now we can continue. So that's the big challenge, is to move through life with fresh eyes. And I, um, you know, I, I hear teachers start talking about students uh, from last year or whatever, and I really don't want any of them to tell me anything. Uh, because based on this study, what they tell me will uh, bias the way I, uh, the classroom environment I generate for them as their teacher. And I want to look at every student as a high potential student. So, but that's a big deal, right? That's, that's a big deal to be able to uh, look at a student with fresh eyes. Uh, not, and, and not just at the beginning of the year, but every month, every week, every day, every moment really is a time to look at people and see them, even if they don't see themselves, as a person with the raw material for uh, excellence and, and, a, and a life of profound meaning and purpose and joy. And not just teachers, but everybody to have that attitude. But that, that's like a big thing, right? I mean, how, how are we gonna have, how are we gonna have that kind of way of moving through life? How are we gonna be able to look at people that way all throughout our life? And the answer is in John. The answer is in 1 John 4 verse 19, and the answer is we love because he first loved us. Because that's what we're really talking about, right? We're talking about looking at people with love, uh, using things and loving people instead of loving things and using people. <clears throat> and the key to that is what is the way God has already treated you, the way the creator of the universe looked down on you. Because we all have a twisted way we think of God looking at us. Uh, and I, I don't know how yours is all twisted up, but it, most people's has something to do with rules and judgment and uh, meeting certain behavior expectations to get into heaven or whatever like that. And the Bible says that's not what drives 
our love and behavior. We love, the Bible says, because he first loved us. It also says in, in Romans, Paul writes that God shows his love in this, that while we're still sinners, while we are not seeking God, no matter what that looks like in your life or how that manifests itself or whatever, but the point is that even people who are sinners and not seeking God, Jesus still died for them. God's love comes first. That's the whole point of this thing. That's where we're going to get the love to to be able to love others and look at others, students or otherwise, with fresh eyes. So what God has done for us in Jesus, that's what we do for others. We are people of fresh starts all the time and everybody knows that we are people of fresh starts. So there's a woman uh, who was caught in adultery and the religious leaders dragged her out, threw her at Jesus' feet and said, this woman was caught in adultery and the law commands that we stone her. What do you say, Rabbi? And Jesus looked at the woman and looked at these people. And Jesus might have thought, yeah, and where's the guy? Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But <laughs> a lot of scholars have said, hey, where's the guy? Sounds like a setup to me. Anyway, so he looked at them and he said, well, here's what I say. How about the one of you who has never sinned, you throw the first stone? And uh, then it says he kind of bent down and kind of wrote on the ground for a little bit. I think he was thinking about creation and formed out of the dust of the earth, all that stuff. Who knows? That's just my speculation. But anyway, the Bible says the crowd dispersed. Everybody left one by one, beginning with the oldest, which totally makes sense, right? Because the older, the older you are, the more fallible you know you are. For most people, anyways, we, we grow older, we, we, we uh, grow more self-reflective and realize uh, that we are far from being without sin. And so then uh, the lady's laying there and he taps her on the shoulder and he says, uh, woman, where's everybody who are, was accusing you? And she says, they've all left. And this is what Jesus says. This is, Jesus is Mr. Fresh Start. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So he doesn't, he doesn't pretend she hasn't done something wrong. He doesn't pretend she hasn't violated the moral code and all that stuff. But what he does do is say, neither do I condemn you. He's, he's got fresh eyes for her. He's got a fresh start for her. It's not that she didn't do anything wrong, but he's got a fresh start for her. And this is, this is like typical Jesus. If you want to know what typical Jesus is, typical Jesus is fresh starts and new beginnings, speaking the truth in love. Not that you don't need the fresh start. You do because of what you did or what you said or what you thought, but you get it. The fresh start, the new beginning. He told, Jesus told another story. Uh, many of you are familiar with it. It's the prodigal son. Uh, a man had two sons, and one son, and you know, I've got a whole thing on this, but in brief, you'll remember one son said, uh, I want my inheritance now, and the dad, crazy that he is, gave him his son, gave his son his share of the inheritance, and the son went away and blew it all on wild living, and then ended up feeding pigs, he's a Jewish guy, ends up feeding pigs, that's like, as that's called hitting a rock bottom, and... So he comes back, and, and what does his dad do? Does he berate him? Does he uh, teach him a lesson? 
does he, uh, you know, do something to make sure he's really sorry? Nope. Uh, he actually sees his son from a distance and goes running toward him, which patriarchs never do. And he hugs him, throws his arms around him, and the kid starts to apologize. He's like, shut up. I'm just glad you're home. And he calls to his servants to say, bring a robe, bring sandals, bring a ring, and go go kill the fatted calf because we're having a party. So the rope, sandals, and rings are all about being part of the family, being welcomed in, fresh start. It's the same thing. Jesus is about fresh starts. And remember, when we talk about Jesus, the Bible says, in him the fullness of the deity dwelt. So you're looking at a living picture of the way God thinks, speaks, and acts. So if you wonder how God thinks, speaks, and acts toward you, especially in the times when you're not particularly proud of yourself, uh, you can think of the woman caught in adultery. You can think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. He told, Jesus told another story. He said two men went up to the temple to pray. One of the men stood up front. He was a Pharisee, out, very outwardly good person. Stood up and prayed, raised his hands and said, God, thank you that I'm not like other men, that I uh, walk the straight walk, I do what's right, I tithe on everything, and I'm not like the guy in the back of the temple. And the guy in the back of the temple, the other man went up to, to pray. He stood in the back of the temple. He wouldn't even look up at the front. And he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, which one of those people do you think went home right with God? Which one of those two people went home, uh, you know, with a soul that's oriented properly toward life and other people and God? And he said, it's the guy who, who was sorry and who wouldn't, who, who was humble and, um, so that's, that's, uh, that's our call. That's the, certainly the call of teachers is to be people of the fresh start. When, when people need a fresh start, we give it to them and give it to them and give it to them. Uh, Peter asked Jesus one time, how many times should I forgive my brother uh, if he sins against me and comes and repents? And then Peter said, as many as seven times. Peter thought he was like going over the top the seven times because the rule, standard rule of thumb is three three strikes and you're out. Why is th three is like woven into the universe? Protons, electrons, and neutrons, right? Uh, the three stooges. But three's the three, three strikes and you're out, right? That's the norm. And Peter thought he was being magnanimous with seven. And Jesus said, I'm not telling you seven. I'm telling you 70 times seven. And what Jesus is saying is you don't count. You just keep forgiving. You just keep giving fresh starts. You just keep looking at people with fresh eyes. And if we're going to be able to do that with other people, we need to know and be assured and continually be renewed in the fact that God looks at us with fresh eyes, continually offers us the fresh start, the new beginning. God, the Bible says, is because of Jesus, is not holding anything against you. It, it tries to use words that humans can understand, like he's taking your sins and hurled them into the depths of the sea. He separated them from you as far as the east is from the west. It's all done. God is in Jesus is not counting our sins against us. We can assume a fresh start. And the more we learn to live in that assumption, like a fish lives in water, the more we're, we're going to be able to uh, exude that same thing, that same aura, that same 
attitude toward the people around us. And they're going to know that we are people of a fresh start. And they can come to us. And they can expect grace. And they can expect that we will look on them with fresh eyes. And we, they can expect that we will not define their person by their worst moments. Uh, even by how they've been behaving for the past two or three years. I mean, who knows, right? But we are always people of the fresh start. Always people of grace. So that's kind of the, that's kind of my teaching thing for today. The, that's the real task of a teacher. And it's the real task of every follower of Christ. That because of how God has treated us with love and always fresh starts, always fresh starts, that we live giving that same grace to those around us. So if you are of a praying type, I would solicit your prayers <laughs> during the first week of school because I'm nervous as heck about, well, I, I'll tell you what I'm really, I'm nervous about teaching calculus because I, I mean, I could do math, but I'm like a total math geek or anything. And in, it's been a while since I've taught calculus or actually I've never taught calculus. I took calculus and I took, you know, higher level math in college and stuff. But it's, you know, that's a long time ago. Look at the gray in my beard. So uh, if you want to say a prayer for me to have a good week at school I will take it and if you are still listening I want to thank you for going on this ride with me where we're talking about the fresh start that uh, students need from teachers and everybody needs from us and we give that to other people because we have been given that by God over and over and, and it's, it's so much over and over that I think in the long run, we don't even think of it as a fresh start anymore because we quit counting the... Th we don't look at the things that... It's a different system. We're not even looking at people as, you blew it and you need a fresh start. It's just like, well, you know, I'm not holding that against you, move on. And, and we almost move, move away from a transactional way of looking at things altogether, and it simply becomes a relationship of love and desiring the best for everybody around you. I did not mean to keep uh, going there, um, but wow, that's really, that's really important. And it'll change, it'll change the lives of those around you, but it'll change your own life too. If you quit counting people's sins against them. All right, I gotta go 30 more seconds. Just give me 30 seconds, because it's what we're what we're talking about here is a life of love, of of being willing, like a little child. God says we gotta accept God's love, like little children. And children don't question their parents' love. A five-year-old is never worried about getting kicked out of the house or anything like that, unless they have like really, really, really sick parents. And so the Bible says we the way to enter the kingdom is to accept God's love, like little children accept love. And love is patient, love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or rude or self-seeking. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Love always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's the way God treats us. And so as receivers of that, we reflect on our own lives and how it's not about deserving, but it's about the relationship. And then that transforms the way we look at every other person in the entire world. And if you're a teacher, that's the way you look at your students. Uh, 
and if you're not a teacher, you can still look at everybody else that way. And I am extemporizing more, way off my outline now, so I'm losing my eloquence, and I like to be eloquent. <laughs> so I'm just going to say thank you for going for a ride with me. Take care. God bless. Bye-bye.